This morning's passage comes from the book of John, chapter 14, 25 through 30. Let's read. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This has been the reading of God's Word. Y'all may be seated. Our text this week is the final seven verses of the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. And this is a a part of what is called the Jesus' farewell discourse. It's it's Jesus' last teachings to his closest disciples, his apostles, before his death. And the way it kind of works out, if you picture it, is there, there, it begins in the upper room. They're together there in the upper room. They've just celebrated Passover together. That's the, actually, is where he instituted the Lord's Supper, which we're going to all celebrate together uh, after the sermon. It's where he began that. They've just had the Passover meal, and in that Passover meal, he tells Judas that he knows that it's him that's going to betray him and to go ahead and do what he has to do quickly. And after Judas leaves the room, then this is his last moments that he has with these, his, his closest disciples and believers. And he takes the time uh, to, to share with them his, his most important teaching. This is what he really wants them to understand before he goes. And, and it begins here in the upper room. And if you notice at the end of that, of that passage in verse 31, he says, rise, let us go from here. What we believe that means is that his teaching lasted from the upper room. They're together around the table. Then he says, rise and let us go from here. And he teaches them on the way to the Mount of Olives, to the actual garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to be betrayed and arrested. So imagine that. It's his very last moments of life before he is betrayed, arrested, and then finally going to be killed. Uh, he, he spends most of this, this discourse telling them what he's going, what he's about to do and what it means. I'm going to die, but what does it mean that I'm, that I'm going to the cross? What will the result be on the other side of this for you? Why am I doing this? And it's really important because in just a few minutes, in just a little while, these disciples that he is talking to on the way, if you'll picture that, wrapping up dinner and now on the way in just a few moments to the actual garden, to where the moment he's going to be betrayed, his disciples are going to be scattered, they're going to be confused, they're going to be afraid, deeply afraid, and they're going to feel alone because he's gone. The one that they believed in, the one they sold out everything they had for, the one they gave up their, their, follow, their, their careers for to follow him, he is going to leave them alone. And they are going to be afraid and scattered and confused and feel, feel deeply alone. 
In fact, they already feel troubled. They're already a little confused because he had been talking about that fact that he's going to leave them. He's been talking about his death, and they don't really understand why he would be going in that direction because they, even up until this moment, they probably believed that he had come to Jerusalem in order to be made king, to take the throne of David for himself and subdue and defeat all of Israel's enemies and to set Israel's new kingdom, David's new kingdom up in Jerusalem. And then in verse 27, in the middle of all this confusion, they're all getting ready to be scattered and deeply afraid and feel deeply alone. He says this, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, I wonder if you and I can relate to that. I wonder if for you, life has taken some unexpected twists and turns that have left you troubled and afraid. If you're past a certain age, I know that you've experienced that. Life doesn't end up the way that we anticipate. It doesn't go the way that we think it should go or really could go. It always takes differing turns. It always brings twists and turns that leave us troubled and afraid. And maybe you're not sure now, or maybe you weren't sure then, whenever it took the twists and turns, even if there was a God. Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you're in that situation right now. And maybe then or now you feel alone and you feel afraid. Does it, is it true that anxiety and fear dominate so much of our lives? Life takes unexpected twists and turns, and we don't know what we're going to do, and we're racked with anxiety and with fear. Even if you're here and you're a believer, even if you're here and you're a Christian, like these disciples here, you believe in Jesus, yet like these disciples, you can wonder why life has gone in particular directions for you, can't you? Especially whenever you were told, as you became a believer, that God loves you. That he wants the best for you. And maybe you wonder, if Jesus is in control, it certainly doesn't look like that to me right now. And whenever you feel that, when you're in that situation, whenever the vice grip is closing in on you, and you're not sure how how you're going to get through today or even get into tomorrow, you don't know what your future holds, you don't know where you even are right now, then you can feel scattered. You can feel confused. You can feel deeply afraid. And you can feel alone. Now, if you ever feel that way, I want you to hear what Jesus has to say to his disciples. They were feeling that way. And he's knowing, he says this to them, knowing that they're about to be, in just an hour or two, they're going to be really, really in the thick of it. Confused, afraid, alone. And it's to them, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, now, Jesus is telling them, and he's telling us that he's leaving them something here. Did you hear that wording there? It's, it's interesting wording. He didn't say, hey, I, I provided a, a way for you to find peace. 
He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, now that wording there, in, we can pick it up in the English, and, but especially in the original language there, the, the, the wording there is, is almost like when someone bequeaths you something in a will. This is what I leave to you. This is what I'm going to give to you. Remember, he is getting ready to die. This is like his last will and testament, if you will. This is what I'm going to leave you. This is what I'm going to give you. And what he's saying is that he's not leaving an object. Here's what he's leaving. He's leaving a state of being. He tells his disciples, and, and his, this promise is for everyone who calls Jesus Lord. He tells us, he tells you, if you're a believer in Christ, he tells us that he is leaving or bequeathing unto you peace. Again, what he's talking about here is not just a mindset. It's not just like a positive outlook. I'm leaving you a positive outlook so you can feel more peaceful whenever things are difficult. Nor, nor is he saying, I'm just leaving you an object so you won't have any sort of troubles. He's saying, what he's saying is, I'm leaving you a state of being. Whenever he said peace, that was a, a very rich concept for the Jewish people. It, it doesn't just mean a, an absence of hostilities. Like, like whenever I yell at my kids, and I, I just want peace for five minutes. Everybody be quiet, five minutes, I just want some peace. What I mean is I want an absence of hostilities and maybe an absence of requests, but absolutely an absence of going at each other. Just a moment of peace. It wasn't just that, it was, though it did mean that, it, it means a, the picture for the Jewish mind was a picture of of wholeness. It, it meant life in total harmony. Not just a lack of hostility, but total harmony. It, it meant, this is what it meant, it meant a, a harmony with God that resulted in a state of blessing or favor from God. That's what it meant. Can you imagine what that state of being would be like? What would it mean to have that kind of harmony and wholeness, a state of blessing from God that ensured peace? It would mean a lack. Imagine a life with a total lack of anxiety, of fear, of confusion, and loneliness. Because, because, here's why. Because you would know, you would know that you're in a right place with God, and therefore you are squarely in his blessing and in his protection. And Jesus says, that's the state of being that I'm giving you. My peace, he says, he's leaving with us. And because of that, he says, our hearts shouldn't be troubled. But what exactly does that mean? I mean, He's saying this, and in just a few moments, all hell is going to break loose for these guys that he's talking to. Their leader is going to be betrayed. They're, they're going to be scattered. He's going to be wrongly accused. He's going to be tortured, and he's going to be hung up on a tree, a curse in Jewish culture. 
And for all the good things that these guys are going to see and going to do in the future, Jesus knows what, uh, they're, they're still going to have a lot of suffering ahead for them. They're going to be severed from family and friends because of their connection and allegiance to Jesus. And all but one of them are going to die a martyr's death because of their belief in him. And it's to these guys who are facing that kind of suffering, not only that night, but all their life is to come. He says, my peace I live to you, I leave to you, I bequeath to you, therefore don't let your hearts be troubled. He doesn't mean, therefore, that the circumstances are going to be peaceful, that things are going to be good and easy. And he can't mean and just have, a, like a, he's just leaving them, like teaching them how to have a better mindset, like a, like a positive attitude. Just have a positive attitude. Has anybody ever told you that whenever you were like deep in darkness? You either want to spit in their face or punch them. Because that's not enough. The most positive person in the world can't be positive whenever everything is falling down on them. But yet these guys who are about to face that kind of suffering and live that kind of suffering, these guys, you know what their testimony was? After Pentecost, their testimony, as well as all the Christians, was a state of being, of being with God, of, of, of peace and joy and love. That was their testimony. After, after Pentecost, these disciples who are going to go through suffering, their testimony is a testimony of peace. Their testimony is a testimony of joy, and their testimony is a testimony of love. If you aren't a Christian, how can you get that kind of peace? And if you are, my question to you is, has that been your experience? Is that your experience right now? And if not, then why not? And maybe more importantly, how can we get there? What Jesus actually tells us here. Let, let, let's, let's look at these words. I want, you to, I want you to see his words. I want you to see again what he's bequeathing to those that believe in him. This is John 14, 25 through 27, by the way. I just want to, if you have it in your Bible or in your app, I just want you to look. I want you to see Jesus' words right there. At, at first glance, if you look at this section, it can, it can feel kind of like stream of consciousness, like, it's hard to feel, it can feel disjointed. Like, he's talking about the helper, then he talks about peace, and like, how does this all fit in together? It's, it's all on purpose. He's giving us not a new mindset, but he's giving us a new state of being, and here's how that happens. Listen, John 14, 25 through 27. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying that he's giving peace to us because he and the Father, this is, this is how He's giving peace to us. He's giving peace to us because he and the Father are going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to us. That, that is how Jesus' peace that he's talking about is not just a mindset, but it's a state of being. Jesus is saying, whenever I'm done with the cross, 
you will be ready for the Father and I to send our spirit, not only to you, but within you. He's saying you will experience not only being righteous before God, but oneness with God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he will be your helper. He will be your guide. He will be your strengthener. He's saying, I'm leaving you my peace because I'm giving you myself. Look at what he says about the Holy Spirit that he's giving us. The first thing he says, I want you to see here, is that the the Holy Spirit that he's going to give us, the helper, that's going to give us a state of being of peace and love and joy also, by the way, is first of all, the Holy Spirit who speaks and acts. This is really, really important. Jesus says that he and the Father are sending the Spirit, and he says the Spirit is going to do something. But he says the Spirit is going to do some things. But before we look at what he says the Spirit is going to do, it's important for us to see how he describes the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus here is talking about the, the three persons of God. We call that the, the Trinity. The biblical teaching is that there's one God for all eternity. There's one God, and he has existed as one God throughout all eternity. But in a great mystery that we can't fully comprehend, that one God has existed throughout all of eternity in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, one essence, three persons. The Athanasian Creed says we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. You can see the three persons of God or the Godhead throughout the Old Testament, but it really, really comes into view in the New Testament. And we see it really clearly when God, the Son, takes on humanity. That's the incarnation. And it's called Jesus the Christ. So these disciples that he's talking to here had experienced now for three years what it was like to live with God, the Son of God in person, in their midst. They had enjoyed the the peace and joy of walking with the Son of God. Can you imagine how amazing that would have been? But Jesus says this. He says that he's going to give them a whole new state of being because, he says, I'm just not going to be among you like I am now, as amazing as that is. But I... God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, through the Spirit, will dwell in you by the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit speaks and acts. Because that's what God does. God is a speaking God, and God is an active God. God speaks and he acts. So now what we're talking about here is not just a, an influence or a force or a power. Jesus addressed the Holy Spirit as he. Did you, did you hear that? He says, he, he will teach you. The, Holy, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is not a concept. He is a person or a being. And this is who Jesus says 
that he and the Father are sending. Not a what, but a who. God the Father and God the Son would send the Holy Spirit to be, listen to what he says, the helper. That word helper means the, the counselor. It means a, an advocate. If you will, the picture there is someone who is a friend who strengthens us. He says he, he, the Holy Spirit, will be the helper of his new people. This is what he's saying. Just as the Son was to the Father, representing him on earth, doing and saying only what he heard the Father do and say, so the Spirit is to be, is to, is to the Father and Son, representing them here, doing and saying only what he hears from the Father and the Son. And he is called the helper, the advocate, and the counselor here because it describes his ministry to us, to those who believe in Jesus' name. Here's what I'm saying. Just as the Son took on humanity in order to save us, the Holy Spirit takes his dwelling in humanity, those that believe in Christ and call him king. So for us, he, the third person of the Godhead, is called our helper and our counselor and our advocate. I want you to think about, think about all, all that Jesus said and did while he was here on earth. Think about how he spoke. He spoke with love. He spoke as one who had authority. He called men and women to repentance. Think about what he did while he was here. The Bible says that he did good, he did miracles, he demonstrated the kingdom, he showed what it was like to live under the rule and reign of God. And it says that he did so, Jesus Christ did so as a man because he was anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm saying, here's what Jesus is saying. It's not me saying it, it's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that same God, that same Holy Spirit that enabled and anointed Jesus to do good and to speak and to show forth what Jesus, what God looked like and to show in his actions and his miracles and his demeanor to speak the very words of God, that Holy Spirit that enabled and empowered Jesus to do that is indwelling in those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone. The God who speaks and acts who formed creation, who healed the blind and the lame, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, that God, the Holy Spirit, is called our helper, advocate, counselor, and strengthener. What does he say the the Holy Spirit would do? He said he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, this is crucial for two reasons. This is really important. It's crucial for two reasons. One, is there are those who will run around and say that they have the Holy Spirit and they'll say and do all kinds of things, but this is the actual test of what they do. Does what they do demonstrate and show forth Jesus Christ? Does it glorify Jesus Christ? Does what they say is the Holy Spirit acting in them and through them, does it point to Jesus Christ? Does it lift him up? If anyone, anywhere, they can show 
miracles. They can have a great following if what they are saying and doing does not glorify, if it glorifies them or it glorifies anyone else, if it does not glorify and demonstrate King Jesus, it is not the Holy Spirit. It's also important because of this. Because there are those in, I think this is almost just as important. It's almost just as bad. Is those, there are those who will say and do a lot of things in the name of Jesus, but they will not acknowledge the acting and speaking of the Holy Spirit. They'll say and do a lot, but because they don't submit to the helper who's been sent to us by Jesus, they end up speaking and acting in the name of Jesus while relying upon their own understanding and their own strength. And, and that, brothers and sisters, is why such, so, the vast majority of the American church is powerless and weak in a culture that seems to be going further and further away from him and seems unable to do anything to change the tide. Because honestly, you can do a lot with human understanding and strength. You can build a following, you can build a church, you can get people excited, you can build followers online, you can do a lot of stuff in your own power and strength, but you can't live in the kind of peace and wholeness Jesus is saying that he's giving us. And you certainly can't build his kingdom because it can only be by his might and power, not by ours. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will teach us. And that brings up two elements of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us. Number one is, it's the Holy Spirit who leads the church. No man, no group of men, we might be leaders under the rule and reign of the Holy Spirit, under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, but no man, no group of men, nobody, leads and guides the, the church except the Holy Spirit. Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit as our guide. He is the one who leads and directs, directs us, and that means that we need his guidance and we need his instruction. Do you recognize that in your own life? That you can't figure it out on your own. You can't figure out life on your own. Have you lived long enough to realize that you're not very good at living life? You might have success in a couple of areas, but how many people do we see and do we know, maybe it's you, who are hugely successful in one or two areas of their life, but are incredible messes in all the other areas? Because you and I cannot hold ourselves together. We need a guide because we're not good at living life without the guide. Jesus is not only describing him as the Holy Spirit as our guide, but he also describes the Holy Spirit as the Lord of the church. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. So, so this is what it means to be a Christian. If he's gonna instruct us, the picture there is someone who we are submitting ourselves to. So to be a Christian means to be someone who is in active submission to God, the Holy Spirit, who is actively speaking and leading and acting. The pathway to peace is daily, momentary submission of your life 
and your will and your way to the will and way of God. That's the pathway to peace. Is that your daily posture? Is your daily posture one of momentary, active submission of your will and your ways to the will and way of God? I think a lot of Christians, who actually are Christians, but maybe also a lot of us who carry the label of Christians who aren't, really live our life momentarily, daily, as if we determine everything. God might determine a few things, but we determine everything else. The picture that Jesus is painting here, the Holy Spirit is the teacher, and that means that we are submitting ourselves to him actively and daily with our lives. He says it's the Holy Spirit who instructs us. You see, you can't have the Holy Spirit instruct you if he isn't leading you. We must, again, be submitted to him in order to be taught by him because we have to recognize that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That's how you enter into, that's how any of us enter into salvation, after all. We put our faith and trust into Jesus alone, but also entailed in that is repentance, Turning away from our sin, turning away from our own lordship and being the king of our own life and recognizing the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ alone. See, you and I cannot understand Jesus, the Bible, the ways of God without the Holy Spirit giving us understanding. There is thinking involved in Christianity. We do use our minds. We use our intellect. There's a, there is a logic to the faith, but there is, no concept, there is no concept of Christianity apart from submission to God's word as, the, as revealed in the Bible. But you and I cannot understand it on our own. We need the helper, the teacher, to give us understanding. We must be submitted to him in order for that to happen. So if you approach the Bible, if you approach a sermon, if you approach a teaching as if it's information that you can simply understand on your own, or if it's a something that, you, that should help you to simply, quote, have a better life, then you're not going to truly understand it. Because our understanding of God's word, who Jesus is, who we are, who he is to us and who we are to him, can only come from the Holy Spirit opening our intellect to understand. If we've been given the helper, though, this would be an encouragement. The Holy Spirit, you know what you can have? If you're a believer in Christ, you can have confidence that if he is the instructor, if he's the helper, if he's the leader and Lord, and he is active and speaking in our midst, and he is dwelling within you, then you know what that means? That means you're going to make it to the end. You can have confidence that he's going to get you, he's going to get us where we need to go. Why? Because the living, breathing, if you will, active, speaking, all-powerful, eternal Spirit of God has been given to us by the Father and Son, and he is leading us and guiding us. And he will not lead you astray, he will not guide you astray, 
He will get you, he will get us where we need to go. You and I can have confidence that we're going to make it through life because if God is for us, who can be against us? But lastly, this is the best part. What are we told that the Holy Spirit is teaching us about? What are we told that the Holy Spirit is leading us toward? And this is what Jesus tells us. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later down in John 16, 14, he says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What what does that mean? How is he saying the Holy Spirit gives us peace? Here's how the Holy Spirit gives us peace. He is our helper, our teacher, our guide, our Lord. And you know what he does for us? He makes Jesus real to us individually. That's what he does. How can you and I live in a state of being, a state of existence that is true peace? If it's not just a a cessation of, of negative activity around me, if it's not just a positive attitude, how can you and I live in a state of peace when it seems like everything around us is going wrong? When it seems like our heart will break? When it seems like our tears will never stop, when it seems like we've run out of tears, how can we know, how can we know peace in that kind of state, which is, by the way, the bequeath of Jesus Christ to you as a believer. How can you know that? You can know that because Jesus made peace with God for you and for me on the cross. You can know that because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. You can know that you have peace. You can have peace because the Father loves us, loves you with an everlasting, eternal, covenantal, never giving up, always and forever love. A steadfast love. You can know peace because Jesus is going to return to take us back to the Father. You can know peace because we're told that Jesus will defeat all his enemies, including devil and the devil and death. You can know peace because Jesus is going to, as he's told us, remake heaven and earth and redeem creation itself. You can know peace because Jesus is going to rule and reign as Lord of all for all eternity. And because we, his adopted children, are going to rule and reign with him. Now, all those things are reasons that we should know peace. But they're only exterior truths until the Holy Spirit breathes within us and reveals Jesus, not just to us, but within us. Now, this is something that I cannot fully explain unless you're a believer and you know what I'm talking about. But if you're not a believer here this morning, I want you to hear that this is a, can be, and it can be the truth for you if you will be a believer in Christ, as sure as I'm standing here. Because so many believers in this room can testify to that fact. That those truths are exterior truths. 
until the Holy Spirit breathes within our heart and gives us a sense of the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ, until the Holy Spirit causes us to see, as it were, the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Once the Holy Spirit causes you to taste and see that He is good and glorious. That's the amazing truth of peace and love and joy for the believer. Because no matter what goes on around us, no matter the state of our own mind, the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within us and is revealing Christ to us. He's reminding to us, to us, He died for you. He's revealing to us His love for us. That's why Paul says that the Spirit of God is within our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. He's revealing to us that the Father loves us and He's revealing love back for, in our hearts for the Father, for Jesus Christ. He makes Jesus real to the believer and that's why the Christian cannot, can talk about God, can talk about Jesus like they know Him. Have you ever noticed that? How can a Christian, how can any person talk about God like they know him? How can a Christian talk about the love of Jesus and the, their love for Jesus in such personal terms? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, speaking the truth of who he is in our hearts and causing us to taste and see that he is good. Giving a, t a taste of the eternal state of bliss that is to come even now. The Bible calls it a, a foretaste, an hors d'oeuvre of what's to come. A down payment, a seal for what is fully to come at the end. The, whole, the, the believer is no, taking no step in darkness because God has revealed to their heart the truth that Jesus Christ is real, that the love of God is forever for them, and that they will be safe in his arms, in his hand, and he will take them through to the end in the end. That, that believer is your legacy from Jesus Christ himself. He bequeathed it to you at his death, and he ensures it at his, at his resurrection. Because we know him, we know his love within us. His spirit within us cries, Abba, Father. He makes known to us that he is our dad. And because the Holy Spirit makes the truth about us and about God real to us, you know what then happens? The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real in the midst of his church. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us as believers, the Bible describes us as individual temples of the Holy Spirit walking around, carrying the presence of God where we go. I hope you're aware of that. But he also describes the church as taking these individual smaller temples temples of the Holy Spirit and, and taking those temples and grafting them and building them together as building blocks, making us together the temple or dwelling place of God on earth. So when we gather, the speaking, acting God is present in our midst. That's why there's no place on earth like the gathering of his saints. God is holy and he is everywhere. That's why there's no place holier, no place like the gathering of God's people on earth. Because the living, acting, speaking God is present in us and among us.
So we should gather, when we gather like this, we should gather ready for him to speak and to act. And, and he will do when we come with expectant open hearts, he will do in so many ways. His presence even now is here. And we all should expect to experience his presence when we gather because he dwells in us and among us. And here's where, how it happens. It happens miraculously through each other. Through the particular personalities and giftings that God has get, granted us. And in special and miraculous ways, what Paul describes as manifestations of the Spirit in our midst. Where God not just makes himself real within us, but makes him, himself real among us and we know. He's here. When we leave knowing he was among us. It's what Acts describes as there was awe upon the people of God. Because God was in their midst. Here's, you might be, as we're closing, you may be hearing all that, and you may want to know, how can I experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life? How can I do that? And according to this passage, according to the Word of God, here's how, I, here's how you can ensure, I can promise you, that you will experience the Holy Spirit. Because it's a prayer that is always answered. And it's this, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me today. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me right now. Holy Spirit, show me what Jesus wants me to do today. Holy Spirit, show me what Jesus wants me to do right now. It may or may not come in a burning bush kind of moment, but God always answers that prayer because God, the Holy Spirit, is among us, speaking and acting within us to glorify and reveal Jesus to us in such a way that when outsiders look into the church and at us individually, they say, oh, I see Jesus there. And he's glorified and lifted up and not us. I invite you to pray that prayer right now. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me now. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer, and you're, or you're not sure if you're a Christian. You're not sure. Like, maybe you say, I, I've, I've had this label for a while. I've been around church for a while, but I don't have this kind of experience, this kind of life that you're talking about. Ask him today, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me now. I submit myself to you. Reveal Jesus to me now. You know what I believe he will do? I believe he will show you your helplessness and your sin, your rebellion against God, but Christ's love for you at the cross and his promise to you of salvation if you only call upon him and turn to him, away from your sin, away from yourself, and to him. I promise you he'll do that. If you're a Christian here today, if you pray that prayer, 
to your Lord, the indwelling Holy Spirit, reveal Christ, reveal Jesus to me today. I believe he'll answer that prayer. I don't know how he'll answer it, but he'll answer it. Pray that prayer this morning as you come forward to take communion. That's what we're getting ready to do. Partake of the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted on this night where he taught this. I pray the Holy Spirit would make Jesus real to you today as you take the, the real bread and the real juice in your hand. Come from the outside. There'll be two stations, one on either side. You take it, return to your seats. I pray that as you partake of that, as Dale leads us in communion, that Jesus will be made real to you by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we do ask you for that today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us today. Show us ourself, our sin, our rebellion, maybe things that we need to repent of. But more than that, Lord, we ask that you reveal Jesus and his love and grace and power. For we know that's a prayer that you always delight in answering. In the name of Christ we pray.